0: Hi, Hannah.
1: Hey, Evan. So something we've been talking about the past few episodes is that we've been making this switch from just jumping into the next Kickstarter. Like, in the past, we finished a game, there's this little bit of a gap, usually not that long a gap, and then we kickstart the next game. Right. And, you know, some of that reason is financial. Kickstarter pays us enough to, or has historically paid us enough to make the game. And, like, work on it for X number of months.
0: And usually we end up going a few months over that.
1: Usually a few months. Uh, And some of it is also just that we like making games.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, also, by the time you're done with a project, you've been... Thinking about how fun it would be to start over with something fresh.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've definitely talked about that before. That by the time that people are like experiencing our game, then for the first time, we are like, we're we're ready to see something different. Yeah. So, we're taking a rest, though. We have a huge back stock of games. We've said that we are going to focus on selling the games that we've printed. Right. And we're also doing something else. I can't remember. Something
0: if we've... we haven't said
1: yet. <laughs> I don't know if we've said it. I
0: don't think we have.
1: I don't know. I feel this entire episode is about this thing that we're doing, and I feel embarrassed to even say it.
0: Maybe we can just talk around it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we're also taking this time to write a novel. Hey! The, hey! Oh, you guys are writing a novel. That's your backup plan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Part of that is in the spirit of wanting to take a break from crowdfunding. This isn't a crowdfunded novel.
1: No, crowdfunded novels are tough. People it do seems it, like but it. It seems. It seems really. I hard. don't know.
0: I mean, I haven't looked into it that much, but I mean, I guess you I've gotten you're some like sad glances. Yeah. (laughs) But that's always the Kickstarter thing. Yeah, that's true. You you know, if you come to Kickstarter from a place of existing enormous success, Kickstarter is just going to continue that momentum. Yeah. (laughs) Coming from where we're at.
1: (laughs) So we want to write a novel. I think we've both always wanted to write a novel, like in our lives before we even knew each other. So- I've talked a little bit about this arc in your life that I think a lot of people experience of maybe like stoking the flames of creativity as a kid. And then you get to this point in life, usually around high school, this pressure starts to weigh down on you to like get serious. Right. And it's like, yeah, you can keep painting, but like you have to decide, like, are you, are you one of the elite that's going to be an elite painter?
0: Right, <laughs> um, right. You
1: can keep writing, but like, do it on the weekend in a little poetry club but only if you have time and have a stable job I and mean, whatever we've we've talked about this everybody knows it yeah about just like you can keep writing but like very few people get published so yeah get serious
0: I think it's interesting that we both uh, have been hit with a fresh round of creative embarrassment in switching to writing a book.
1: <laughs> It's funny because I think probably, probably at this point, I've like worked in and around games for long enough that like my my family is like, "Oh, that's what you do. That's cool. Yeah, you like make a living." They don't know how much of a living I make or don't like. <laughs> I, I don't share those numbers, but like you make a living <laughs> um, making games.
0: To be fair, the friends that we have spoken to about this book, they've. They've skipped right over the novel skepticism and gone straight to, awesome, you two make things. Obviously, you finish things. When can I read it? It sounds awesome.
1: We're not talking about the like sheepishness today, though. I mean, we did. We talked about it a little bit.
0: We're done talking we're done. about the sheepishness. We're
1: done. Like, this isn't about how to get over that. Figure it out. Everybody's got to do that work <laughs> for themselves. I feel like that's what we talk about all the time. We're talking about just like literally the what it's been like to work together to kind of shift to this really different type of work. Mm-hmm. Also, this is kind of unique experience of like co-writing a novel, which isn't super common. Right. We're just going to talk about what that's looked like.
0: So, like we said, this started with unspecific aspirations. We want to write a novel. We want it to not be crowdfunded. Go.
1: Yeah. And so not when a, to not be crowdfunding, <laughs> like uh, our goal is traditional publishing.
0: Yeah. So the very first conversations were like, What so, should
1: it be about? Yeah. What kind of
0: novel are we talking?
1: <laughs> yeah. So with that, one of the things that we started, I feel like we did two things. One was kind of like, well, what are some ideas that we've both had for games over the years, like kind of stories we've wanted to tell? And then right. also, what are just some themes we've cared about in ter- terms of like stories we want to tell in the philosophical abstract? Do you remember what any of those ideas were that we originally talked about?
0: I don't. I'm not sure if that's because we really quickly got to the idea we landed on. Or if that just all got wiped out by obsessing about the one we landed on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember either. And um, we're not like intentionally trying to be coy here uh, about like the one we landed on, the story we're telling. But this isn't about what our novel's about. Yeah. But But we'll say a little bit what it's about, a little context here. So we pretty quickly settled on. A story connected to Starship Ultralux.
0: Our Uh, unfinished RPG about being stranded on a luxury spaceship cruise line.
1: Yeah. We had a character on that cruise named Elena. She's on board this cruise ship with a bunch of different aliens. She's won a ticket aboard this ship. And Elena is from a planet in the far future that's one of many sort of vacation worlds these hyper capitalist vacation worlds and her world specifically is a recreation of Earth in the year 1993
0: it's sort of as an amusement park version of it and that's where she was born and raised it has a it's a it's a planet so it has a resident population
1: yeah. We ended up grabbing on to Elena's story and really liking it and really liking some of the themes that we felt like Elena represented because as a character, she desperately wants to escape this planet that's stuck in a permanent 1993 and her way of escaping in the game was like she wants to escape this artificially constructed life and she ends mm-hmm. up on a cruise ship.
0: <laughs> right.
1: The most artificial construction there is, like also sort of repeating some of the same loops that she was trying to escape, just now in this like like more grandiose scale. So we really liked Elena's story and we liked these themes of like what it means to be stuck in loops. Right. Why different people, like what different loops people are stuck in in their lives.
0: So that ended up being like a convergence for us of themes we wanted to talk about in our own lives, what it means to feel stuck in a loop and to break out of it, and this setting that we had spent months already expanding upon having fun with. There's like just a lot of existing details and elements of this world that we both were into, despite the game itself never quite coming together.
1: Not yet, at least. Yeah. Who knows Who knows what what the future holds for it. So the first part of the process was talking about these themes. Like, what are we trying to... I mean, there's two things. Like, what are the themes of the book? And also, like, what are we trying to say? Like, what do we hope to say with these themes? Um, right. And after that, we also had a conversation about tone, because Starship Ultralux was pretty goofy. Yeah. And I think it was something that in some ways held back the game, and is maybe why the game isn't done yet, is that there was always this like there was some tension, and I don't even mean tension between the two of us, but just like tension in like making a funny game. There was a real tension around the tone.
0: One of the challenges we were taking on with Ultralex was this ongoing discussion of like silliness needs seriousness to play off of goofiness needs like straightforward realism. Otherwise, you're just unmoored, and it's not even clear what's silly and what's not. So in the game, we talked a lot about what's the serious part of this? How can we make sure the goofiness doesn't weasel its way in? So those discussions from the game hopped right over to the book, which as a starting place has a more serious feeling because it's a personal story of an unhappy person. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think we both have an appreciation for like slapstick humor. Yeah. But we we didn't want this to be slapstick.
0: At least not entirely. Well, yeah. I mean, there's, there's gotta be a balance. There's a way that comedy and drama can support each other and like round out each other. Something that's serious can feel more serious when it's not against a backdrop of a whole world where everything is serious.
1: Yeah. I mean, this example that we were talking about the other day was in the movie Chinatown. Yeah, really serious and dramatic movie. Well,
0: with a lot of moments of levity.
1: Moments of levity.
0: In a scene with a female lead uh, sobbing in a car, she lowers her head and accidentally honks the horn, startling herself.
1: And Jack Nicholson.
0: And Jack Nicholson. And (laughs) then after a beat, continuing to cry. Like, for me, that's a perfect example of an interjection of. The weirdness of reality into the serious drama of the moment that makes the drama feel more real, makes it feel connected to a world that's everything at once.
1: Yeah. I mean, like bizarre and surprising things, like they just happen in life. I mean, we, it was like, and similarly, we were talking about the novel the other day and we were waiting to pick up some burritos. Uh, at a restaurant downtown. And this woman like stormed into the restaurant looking like rushed and kind of annoyed. And then just immediately like, like walked directly into the table in the center of the restaurant. Like just, like she just had eyes on like, she just had eyes on the cash register, like coming to pick up her food, looking straight up. And she just like yeeted over the table. Like she wasn't hurt. It was fine. But you know, it's like life has more moments like this than like you can't even write in as many moments like this as life presents because your story would seem too slapstick right uh but we want to we wanted to leave room for that and you know i mean douglas adams who we're not trying to emulate because he has i think everybody who's tried to emulate him has kind of cringingly failed <laughs>
0: but we're inspired. We're by inspired his, by his work we're for sure. We're inspired
1: by him. I mean, his is maybe like is a level deeper, deeper slapstick, but his writing was just so much of it about was about like the absurdity of bureaucracy. Yeah. And that's something that like we want a lot of. This right. person lives on a vacation planet that's trying to recreate a time where nobody alive by potentially thousands of years. What does 90s nostalgia mean? What does nostalgia mean when it's a time that not a single person was alive for by millennia? Um, It's bizarre. And it has all of these weird systems built around it and red tape. And it's as funny as like waiting in line at the DMV. It's not funny when it's you. But it's a little funny when you zoom out and you're like, this is this is quite silly that I'm number 397. And then I get up and I needed one form that I didn't have.
0: I think part of the grounding concept that we have for the tone of the book applies also to how we're describing the world itself, which is writing from the perspective of somebody who was born and raised in this environment. Like, it's a future where people look very different. People have spread over the galaxy and evolved into alien creatures. That's something that's almost beneath the notice of Elena, who's grown up with people of all sorts walking through the park as guests.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was something... I really appreciated that when you had said that as we were sort of brainstorming, that sometimes... In writing, there's like this authorial insert with describing a world where it's just like, you know, Elena looked around at her wacky and diverse planet. There were many Mm -hmm. types of people here, Mrs. So-and-so with her three eyeballs. (laughs) Uh, If we're grounding this in the perspective of somebody who has grown up here, yeah, there's going to be all these things that are beneath notice. And this kind of transitions into world building, but I don't know if if you want to just transition right into world building conversations yet. I'm ready. Cool.
0: We've agreed to keep this brief because we've agreed to have a whole episode on world building at some point, I say, to remind myself primarily.
1: Now we have to do it.
0: That said, world building was the next step for us in figuring out what we were going to write. Because suddenly we wanted to really get straight the details of where this story is taking place and what's allowed to happen. And this was also probably the height of contentiousness that we had about the book.
1: Wait, really? I yeah. thought world building. We were like uh, exactly on the same page about. Oh my god. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> this uh-uh. absolutely
1: tracks with every single time there's been something contentious. And it just <laughs> blasted out of my brain. Wait, <laughs> what was contentious about it?
0: Uh the way these conversations went is I would start describing a future that is uh oh like like b- absurdist and extreme in the level of technology yeah. and the level of like appearance of aliens and the the sort of galactic community um or at least that's how it would hit you It's very extreme oh, yeah
1: no i remember now okay <laughs> yeah because i remember like you being like you know we're like what do people look like how how much like what has human evolution looked like and i was like people look like people and you were like there's a planet where everybody lives underwater and they breathe underwater and i was like furious
0: yeah you were really mad about that i
1: was so mad about and the and it's like you know people. they have like
0: little tanks that they're that they're wheeling around in the park and little I was like, like
1: absolutely not
0: <laughs> uh and i kept being confused by it cuz so i was like i was like i'm not trying to be absurd it's not that wild to have a future where you can design your bodies to breathe underwater like that's just it is a conceivable future
1: yeah but then i was just like oh whatever yeah <laughs> whatever.
0: but but well but here's what happened you kept imagining a writing style about this world that was self-indulgently congratulatory about how unique and weird the setting was. Mm. And when I talk about, you know, somebody in a little motorized tank scooting around the park, you are imagining a page where it was like somebody was in their custom-made motorized tank scooting <laughs> around the park because they breathed the water from planet Exofaxo. And and that's obnoxious. Yeah. And you were like, I don't want this to be obnoxious. The we had to sort of figure out what makes world building obnoxious, why we both can immediately summon a kind of description of a setting that makes us cringe. And it's even why the word, the term, and its sort of like elevated use, at least that you and I have encountered, As a sort of like, that author is an incredible world builder. (laughs) It kind of stems all the way back to the original Questlandia, where our experience was like, hey, world building isn't some like, like, brilliant scholar puffing on a pipe, dreaming of an entire elaborate system on their own in a way that only a genius could. That's just accessible human imagination that's available to any of us and we can do it and it's not uh, it's not in the domain of superhumans
1: yeah okay I remember the fights now (laughs) and one thing that I remember is even separate from like my concerns about things being too slapstick or silly or like people riding around with like the little fish tanks on their heads and us calling it out in this way where we're patting ourselves on our back for how funny we are we had this good conversation I remember we went to the gym because we are power authors and <laughs> we, we do all of our best work on a treadmill <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> we, we went to the gym, and we're both on, like, rowing machines, puffing uh-huh. <laughs> away and talking about, talking about the novel. And I was talking about this book that I had uh, gotten only through, like, the first chapter of. I don't even remember what it's called. Even if I did, I wouldn't, like, drag this book. I was just not getting into it, and... One of the reasons that I wasn't getting into it, I think I read you like the first page and it was just like, you know, uh, Pritchard looked out over the inky black where many of the like wing crafts were about to set, set swale. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, what's the deal with this? Like, why does this make me so annoyed? And you were like, it's like, it's word swapping. Everything that was just mentioned, boats, the ocean, setting sail, has just been word swapped without meaning. Like there's right. there's no additional meaning. It's just like replacing sail with swale. That's not actually what this author did. That would have been more entertaining. But it's basically what they did.
0: It reminded me of a Uh, argument I heard secondhand that learning a new language is a waste of time because you're just learning a bunch of new words for the same things. Like, why bother?
1: That's a wild argument.
0: (laughs) And there's a number of, I mean, obviously there's the utility of being able to speak another language, but it's not just a one-to-one word swap either. Any word is sort of a fence around a bit of meaning, a part of reality you're trying to capture within the domain of this word. And that is a subtle variable gradient of what are you trying to capture? What do you think is worth describing? What's worth having a word for? And how much should be covered by that word? How specific do you want to get? And making those decisions. Isn't arbitrary. It comes from a philosophy of life, like a way of viewing the world and of valuing it and of understanding it. And when you learn a different language, you start learning a different perspective on the world and people's behavior in it and on feelings and emotions and on what a good life should be. So, my feeling is in fiction. If you're going to make up new words for things in your setting, that should not be a swap, a one to one swap with something that already exists. If so, it's, it's literally meaningless. It does not have a meaning. Uh, it should describe some part of the philosophy or history of the setting that it's in. We're, we're way into the world building episode. (laughs)
1: I don't think I mean, I well. first of all, I think this, this will be okay to sort of state again, because I, I think it's really interesting. And yeah, no, I know, I, I think we had said we weren't going to go too deep into our world building notes, but, but I didn't remember our fight about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but it's, but it was relevant. I mean, it's, you know, part of this part of working collaboratively, especially on something like a novel, where we have to we have to write like we're one person, like we're yeah. not passing chapters back and forth where it's like, Hannah writes Elena, Evan writes the fish guy who's <laughs> going around on a scooter and is having waggy adventures. Um, and we can both have these really distinct voices, like we have to converge on a voice. And so we have to do all this work, even before we start writing to to get on as similar a page as we can.
0: Right. The other decision that let us get on the same page about world building was what I already mentioned, a focus on Elena's perspective. And the guidepost of if Elena finds it noteworthy, that's when we will make a note of it. We won't insert a hypothetical everyman who can be astounded by every difference that this future has from our present? Yeah. And in fact, we sort of talked about how one of the things that made world building feel unpleasant to imagine is that it brings to mind the author, like it gets connected to the author. You start thinking of that writer themselves giving you a tour of the world that they've invented in yeah. their palatial mind.
1: Yeah, well, that's I and mean, that's exactly what I was going to say is it's like, it really feels like then that they are giving you a tour of their mind. Right. They're like, welcome to my palace of <laughs> unearthly delights.
0: And that can be okay. But it does mean that you are now in your own book, which is not the kind of story we want to write. We don't want to be hanging out in this world.
1: Yeah. And uh, we're not as like funny as Kurt Vonnegut.
0: Well, that's you the thing. Literally like,
1: hang out in your own book.
0: Everything's um, allowed if you do it well. Everything's allowed if you do. I mean, it doesn't even have to be done well. It just has to work for you. It has to be it, the story you want to write.
1: It's true. Yeah. Everything everything is allowed. And it could totally, there's, uh, I mean, having, you know, one thing that we've both done a little bit over the past, like over the pandemic is we've we've read some popular media Mm
0: -hmm. that
1: is like, maybe we kind of snubbed our noses at. I mean, Ready Player One is one of the ones that like we did some bonus content about it for Patreon. Like we both read Ready Player One and then watched the movie. And like, uh, there's a lot of ways that something can be appreciated and beloved and still not like the story we want to tell in the way that we want to tell it.
0: Right. I mean, Douglas Adams is another example of an author where Sometimes it's just Douglas Adams talking to you, making a joke, going off on a little riff about the universe and its goofiness, and he does it with charm, and and that's fine.
1: Yeah. Sometimes it's Robert Heinlein in there talking about uh, libertarian orgies. <laughs> You're like, I've really lost the thread. <laughs> I think- I think there's an authorial insert at a level that I'm deeply uncomfortable with here.
0: For us, for the novel that feels good for both of us to write, uh, we kind of want to keep ourselves out of there, which maybe is...
1: I'll take my libertarian (laughs) orgies behind closed doors. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if that's part of um, making this work as a collaboration. I haven't really thought of that before. But it does seem like if we had a more overt, authorial narrative presence, that would make it all the harder for us to agree on a shared voice, mm. you know?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way either, but I think that's because,
0: like Because we figure out who Elena is, and Elena talks like Elena, and much the same for other characters. But that's, figuring out yeah. who the narrator is and how they talk is a trickier issue.
1: It's cool because it makes me think that, you know, there's maybe this opportunity then that, that our that our book will be even stronger for having written it together and yeah. like moving away from any any risk of being like, oh hee, I'll just step in a little bit. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah.
0: I have some thoughts about this. <laughs> okay, so let's let's get out of world building. Let's,
1: we just let's love drag that. ourselves away <laughs> yeah. from ourselves.
0: Those conversations are ongoing, of course, like, as we write, we're figuring out more and more aspects of the setting. And so it keeps dipping in and out of figuring those things out. But we have moved on.
1: Yeah. So at this point, I mean, I'll say just where we are in the process, we have outlined, we did our first like rough outline of the Entire novel. And in a second, I'm going to dive into what each step like this was kind of like for us. Uh-huh. But we started with like a small outline. Well, not small. I mean, it, it encompassed the whole book, but everything was just on index cards. Like it right. all fits on a corkboard outline of like the main plot points in the book. We did that. Then we sat down and spent a month writing a 20,000 word outline, which is the first time I've ever done something like that. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that. Now we are in the like draft. I mean, we're writing for the first time we're we're writing and we're trying to get the words down in like a little bit of a messy first draft way.
0: I mean, for me in particular, like I'm I'm super into a rushed first draft and getting to the point where you are working with what you've got and doing a form of like editing and rewriting. But that's me. Like, that's in our normal day-to-day work. That's usually, like, you'll make a quick first draft, and then I'll hop in from there. Like, that's my comfort zone.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like the process of making a messy first draft has taken – it's taking a lot of work for both of us. Since college, I've rarely – like, I've written hardly any fiction. Mm -hmm. Um. It's just been too hard for me to get past the first draft stage. I'm like a chronic editor. And it's been really great in our work together when it's not fiction, when we're writing a backer update or a newsletter. Like I'm the, I'm the first drafter. Right. And I'm just like, up, 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 up. I get it out. I get kind of a messy first draft. And you take over the second draft. And it's like an amazing workflow.
0: But we can't do that for the whole. novel. We can't
1: do that and I, and I don't want to because we want to bring both of our ideas kind of at the same level. I mean, it's like if I was writing the entire first draft, uh, like I'd be I'd be setting the sailboat in the water. yeah, and you would be or the the swale, I'd be setting it swale <laughs> in the inky black. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and and you would be like guiding the wind. And we both want to be stepping in at the same place. Yeah. Contributing ideas that excite us and then each both
0: swaling. Both, both swailing, gliding.
1: Yeah. Gliding and swaling. <laughs> swaling all along, like n- nudging the boats together. This is so. This is always why, like, in, my therapist is always like, "Can you like say again, but like in words where I know what you mean?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know, swaling through the currents of life.
0: <laughs> the first drafting, and we can step backwards to to outlining.
1: Yeah, but, yeah, because I feel like we we can't too casually brush over just like, oh, then we just wrote a twenty thousand word outline. No big deal.
0: Nbd. Yeah. But the last thing I'll say about drafting is that we are taking an approach of confining ourselves to the first, say, third of the book, but then each of us taking scattershot scenes within that section of the book and writing them out, sometimes swapping and like continuing where one of us left off, basically like, Trying to get a scattering of our voice and imagination across the breadth of what happens in this part of the book, which has been really fun so far. Yeah. If a little uh, chronologically confusing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I want to, and I feel like there's, there's more to say about that because it's a question that I'm getting a lot when I have told friends like, oh, and Evan and I are writing a novel together. And the most common question is like, how do you do that together? Like, what is, what's that look like creatively? Right. Um, but I did kind of want to step back and just briefly say like, what are, what the steps were that got us to this point? Like how we approached outlining and then sort of the mega outline, uh, because, I mean, the, you know, we're not like giving advice is not our forte, but it, it's kind of cool. It's the first time I've I've done something like this. And I, I want to share the process.
0: So by the point we started the outline, we did already have a vague sense of the whole book. just Just roughly, like some of the stuff that happens where yeah. it gets to.
1: And specifically, I had started to watch. I was like, "Evan, I really want to like indulge in some just like writing advice YouTube YouTube's."
0: Right. <laughs> YouTube videos.
1: <laughs> and after, you know, bouncing off a few people, I had found a channel with this woman named Abby Emmons who's like a young writer gives writing advice. Um she does a lot of videos about just like plot point, pinch point, three-act structure, some of these phrases I wasn't familiar with. Like, I didn't know what a pinch point was. Honestly, I don't even remember what it is now, (laughs) Um, even though we wrote some in. And I think I, I, I pushed the videos on you a little bit. My memory is that you were, like, a little maybe like resistant or skeptical of the three act structure or just had like maybe some associations with it as as kind of like formulaic. I mean, I
0: was completely down for watching the videos and just taking in advice from wherever we can find it. But yeah, I did have an existing prejudice.
1: And I was like, let's be basic. Like, why are we afraid of like this formula that's just worked? We can be awesome within it
0: and i was like really three acts in 2023
1: <laughs> <laughs> i want to write the house of leaves of sci-fi games based on role-playing games did you ever read that book
0: loved that book
1: i don't remember I was it just- might
0: have a three-act structure i mean the whole thing <laughs> about a three-act structure <laughs> when you get down to it is like it's it's a lens of looking at a story and you can apply it to a lot of different stories. It doesn't mean those stories were written to be a three act structure.
1: Exactly. The
0: three act structure, it itself has its own like labeling power. Yeah. You know, it calls something a rising action, but uh, well, I don't know. I don't want to get so into no, no. I mean, disputing I... what I found <laughs> was that three-act structures have a lot of useful terms and ideas for thinking about where a story is going and having a sense of like where you are in a story and where a reader might be. And more than anything, in Abby's videos, she really emphasizes the internal world and evolution of your protagonist of the character at the heart of the story. And I definitely needed to hear that. I definitely was very helped by the idea of thinking of, you know, of all the stuff that can happen in a plot to map it along an individual's journey of learning something and understanding the world. It started to just make things click into place where it was like, oh, I realize why I wanted this spaceship to be here. I wanted this arc to happen because it relates to a particular belief that's getting challenged. That might sound really hokey. I don't know.
1: No. Well, I mean, it was literally I was the one sort of pushing for it. I mean, for me, it really helps – Like, I need to be put on some tracks because, like, I don't think (laughs) linearly.
0: (laughs) Hannah, I've been meaning to say, (laughs) (laughs) we need to get you on some tracks.
1: (laughs) Just set me on the track and just, yeah. (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) Push you in your little motorized tank.
1: Yeah. It was really helpful for me. And I I think it was the right choice because it, it helped give us just a structure to, like, slot in... Like some floating ideas that we had about characters, about the setting, about you know certain dramatic arcs or things that we wanted to see happen, uh, it helped us fill in some gaps, right? And even fill in some of the gaps a little arbitrarily. Like, okay, what would it look like if we wanted to have a a MacGuffin? Like, what is you know what's the MacGuffin going to be? What's the yeah? Um, which I was like, what's a MacGuffin? I didn't know what any of these terms were. And things like starting with some formulas for character profiles and being like, what's my character's misbelief around the, you know, what's their fatal flaw? What, um, yeah. It's really helpful to do that for every single character. Like, you can write a whole book and not know what Elena's father's fatal flaw is, but you get to write him better if you do.
0: I mean, I've got to say that those conversations helped us, uh, just stuff in the flaws for Elena, <laughs> really loved. like loved Elena, up and down. Uh, Elena's personality just tanked, and <laughs> and from there, uh, the writing got so much more fun and easy. Yeah, when it was just like because we just had a a reluctance because we were like we want our main character to be likable, and. We had the wrong idea that a likable character means, you know, you'd want to be their pal. They're, they're just straightforwardly likable. It's like now that Elena is just a upset teenage asshole, uh, <laughs> she's wonderful. <laughs>
1: yeah, and it it helped us get through that that sort of outline, like this one that we have up on the corkboard, really quickly. I mean, within a matter of days, we were able to sketch out a really rough, uh, just hitting sort of all the major points we wanted to hit.
0: And from there, we started the long form outline, which, which was almost the opposite of what we've been saying about the draft, where we're each trying to get our own unique perspectives and imaginations like down at, at regular intervals throughout the book. With the outline, it was a long talk.
1: Yeah, we would basically sit, we basically sat down chapter by chapter, fairly linearly. Yeah, is my memory. And like, okay, the book opens, what do we think happens? Okay, should open on this, I could imagine it opening on this Q&A scene, and, and then doing this sort of very, very sketchy, somewhere between a bullet point and a first draft type of writing where it's like, then maybe Elena says this. Then this happens. Then her father is going to enter. She should have a conversation like this. Here's when she has a falling out with her friend. Um, yeah.
0: And one of us would be taking notes. The other would just be chatting. I mean, we'd both be chatting. Uh, the other would just be lying on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Writhing. <laughs> Sweating. Possessed by the creative spirit. <laughs> <laughs> fish revo swale <laughs> well.
1: can we make like a <laughs> I always have this the worst ideas for design doc shirts but can we have like a shirt that has like kind of like a little bit of like a, a very world building sort of fantastical looking ocean with like a little boat in it that's a swale away <laughs> <laughs> Is that a funny idea or a bad idea?
0: I, I just don't know anymore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. So we wrote this 20,000 word outline. It, well, it, cu- it clocked in at 21,000 words. And it was, I, I think that was another Abby Emmons thing where in her videos, she's, she was always just like, you know, then I write my 20,000 word outline. And I don't know if we were specifically a spy. I mean, we must have had sort of those targets in mind. But I was kind of shocked when then it just like.
0: It just added up to just, that. Yeah,
1: it was just there.
0: Yeah, that was a fun happenstance. I don't know that it matters, but but it hit 20,000. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's It's tricky thinking about words. Word counts. Like, it's such an arbitrary measure of what a book is. <laughs> and yet. It's like been present from the very get go, because we're looking at a traditional publishing route, because there's industry standards. So there's a number to hit. There's targets.
1: Yeah. So I feel like we can start to sort of wind down with just returning to what the past month of work has been like, like after finishing our, our mega outline, and moving on to actually starting to write the book together. So we kind of already said what, what that looks like. Yeah. Um, Like one thing that I want to kind of emphasize, because it's been really fun and I think it's relevant to just bigger conversations about what it means to like what it's like to work with another person is I love what we've been doing where like you start a chapter, you write a few paragraphs or maybe halfway through the chapter and you kind of set the stage and then you hand it to me and I read it through and immediately, you know, there's a few like either I'm like, oh, this is so cool. I didn't imagine it happening, happening this way, or this is exactly how I imagined it. But unless something is really going on in a direction that one of us didn't imagine, we just pick up, like we just pick up the writing right. uh, and keep going from there.
0: I've been loving that. Like, it's been in both directions like i really like <laughs> I like starting a chapter and then shoving it off on somebody else to figure out where it should go from there
1: i mean it feels very freeing too because ending is hard and starting is hard right so you don't have to do you don't have to do either one of the hard parts it's been helpful too i think to see we talked a lot in the beginning about like how are we going to figure out what each of our writing styles are? Like, should we just each do a bunch of practice writing and then talk about what? I think almost immediately it became apparent, like, where the differences are. I jump in much more quickly to dialogue, I think. Yeah. And a lot of times the dialogue is pretty, like, uh, there's not a lot of, like, di- um, what's the word? It's not dialogue descriptors. tag. Descriptors. not a lot of, like, descriptors around it. Like, yeah. it's just sort of, like, you know... This, person, like a this person, this person, this yeah. person, this person, script style. Yeah, which is, it's not even necessarily the final voice that I want to go for. It's just easier for me. I feel like you really jump into more like giving a sense of like characters sort of moving through space and pondering their surroundings. And uh.
0: yeah, sometimes observing. getting just like into a real thoughtful <laughs> <hole> about it. <laughs>
1: think so. I, it's really I mean I've been really like I've been really into your writing and really impressed by it. But it's cool because I think also like when when you give me something that's a little more slow-paced and thoughtful, I can kind of try to like slow down from there.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: when I've given you the dialogue, you've picked it up and written things that are really funny. Yeah. No, enjoyable. you you
0: like you help me jump into a faster pace and just like a more spoken word kind of writing, which has been really, really fun.
1: It it reminds me of like, do you remember there's this episode of Over the Garden Wall, where there's these two very rich people, I think, who own like competing tea companies. Um, <laughs> and they both live in mansions. And their mansions have gotten so big that they've built them together. And they each think that they're like in some, what's the word? Haunted? Yeah, like they're having a paranormal encounter because suddenly in their giant homes, they're like, I don't even remember this wing built in Rococo style. Right. I don't remember this this wing in French colonial brutalism. That doesn't exist. And I feel like that's kind of like what we're doing, but then we're going to each continue down the halls, like adding decor from each of our styles, until you're like, yeah, brutalist French colonial can work. <laughs> sure, that's a thing.
0: That's the plan. <laughs> See, this
1: is what I mean about the metaphors that don't make sense. But does that?
0: Make no, sense? that works for me. It really does. Just feel like like continually discovering over and over a different way to look at the scenes and write the dialogue and being able to jump on board with it.
1: Yeah. I don't I don't know why I had to describe it like over the garden wall, two mansions coming together. I mean it's just like if, if two people move in together and they each had their own like touches and decor and, you know, furniture in the room and that's what that's what we're doing with this novel.
0: It's one of the parts that I feel is both, it feels both very fun, and I feel very optimistic about us converging on a shared style. And that optimism is coming from us having done so over and over in our past projects. It's true. That's, you know, it might seem like it's a less daunting task when it's about writing rules, where the point of them is clarity. And yet, that hasn't been the case. There's a lot of ways to write rules and we've it's taken real work to determine like the voice that we are writing from. But that aside, we've also worked on much more creative writing projects like Mud where it really did take us a, a story and a theme and a writing style and a pace all converging to tell one coherent story. So, Mostly coherent. Yeah, maybe that's a little <laughs> strong. <laughs> but yeah, so you know, I, I agree. it is technically a story.
1: <laughs> I agree.
0: <laughs> uh, I think we're going to do it again.
1: So that's what we got today. We're writing, dreading a little, a little novel together, a little wee novel that nobody's sheepish about.
0: Yeah, we're doing one of those. Yeah. Why not?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so that's uh that's 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 what we got. So if you have thoughts about that, what would the thoughts be?
0: Uh that we shouldn't. <laughs> um. <laughs> please don't.
1: Uh I guess you can let us know at um design at gmail.com. Tweet to us on the increasingly chaotic platform.
0: Of twitter.com Twitter <laughs> slash Design Doc Pod.
1: Design Doc Pod? Is it? It's Design Doc Pod at Gmail also, right? Uh-huh. Okay.
0: You could even write your thoughts in a review on Apple Podcasts, which we read. They really
1: give us a lot of life.
0: You should read them, too. They're, they're really they're, sweet. <laughs> they're so heartening. <laughs> so far. Well, yeah, and you could change that. So feel invited.
1: <laughs> yeah. So... Finally, we want to say thank you to our patrons on the Turtle Bun Patreon, this month, this month, this month on the turtle and the bun, this month, this month.
0: That could be our thing.
1: (laughs) We just word swap. (laughs) (laughs) At Turtle Bun, we call months months. (laughs) This month, we want to welcome new patron Bert. Bert, thank you for being here and supporting us. If you enjoy the podcast, uh, becoming a patron is a great way to support Design Doc. You can do that at patreon.com/turtlebun.
0: The Design Doc intro outro theme is written by our friend Pat King. Thanks, Pat.
1: Design Doc is hosted by the One Shot Podcast Network. One shot hauls. Wow, I'm really having a <laughs> word. So we
0: insane. don't say has and turtle button. We go with haws.
1: <laughs> One shot hosts. Other great shows like Neo Scum. Neo Scum is a narrative comedy podcast featuring five Chicago improviser suddenly it's like every word is just being swapped in my head now for like a made-up word
0: <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> um featuring that's the heart of improvisation featuring right there.
1: five chicago improvisers antagonizing their way through the role-playing classic shadow run It follows a group of misfits and outsiders, Z, the acerbic cyber troublemaker, Pox, the candy junkie klepto from across the pond, tech wizard, the public access actor with a petulant thirst for adventure, and Dark Rambo. Whoops, Dak
0: Rambo. (laughs) 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 <laughs> Dark Rambo doesn't show up till season two. No,
1: no, Dark Rambo has a mustache, it's like a little goatee. <laughs> um, and Dak Rambo, the nastiest trucker this side of the Robo Mason Dixon. You thought that Dak Rambo was the nastiest trucker, but there's a <laughs> nastier. <laughs> <laughs> Join the irascible Neoscum crew on a puerile rockin' road trip through a weirdo world of tomorrow, doling out street justice to every deb they encounter, whether they deserve it or not.
0: They know how to sling an adjective. I know. Over it's at Neoscum. En- yeah,
1: it's an enjoyable world building. Yeah. It's fun. They're not like, swale away with the cast of stuff with the swaling. It's like not. It's only funny to me. Uh, Thanks so much, heroes. We will see you soon.